living to escape the row. You know, it's, it's, we believe in forgiveness. We believe in letting our chains be set free and running up to the front here. So, so McCray was just, she was just displaying the, the cross today for us. So next week we'll have, we'll have kids today. So make sure she's back. We're glad everybody's here this morning. I don't know if it's my upbringing or what, growing up in the town I did, Hooker, Oklahoma, but I always have loved discovering and finding out new names of towns and people and weird places. I didn't know there was such thing as a Bangs, Texas. I love that name, it's the Bangs Dragons. I assume I don't want to do any research on how that name came about because I want to assume it was named after ladies' hairdos in the 80s. Bangs, Texas. Right? I love the town OK, Oklahoma. It's south of Norman. I love that because it describes our neighbors to the east so well. What do you think about Oklahoma? It's okay. You know? <laughs> Even Oklahomans will say that. You like living in Oklahoma? It's alright. You know? OK, Oklahoma. That's why I love, I found out, I don't know where this one came from, New Mexico. Truth or consequences, New Mexico. That's a real town name. I do want to know the history on that. But more than just town names and city names like that, I love strange names that we give people, right? C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian authors and theologians of the 20th century. C.S. stands for Clive Staples. What a name. Man, Allison, we should have named one of our kids that, right? But there's also ridiculous names. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I found out a a white rapper last night. His name is Young Gravy. (laughs) That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Other than, and you guys are like, oh, I've heard of that guy, right? (laughs) There's also this trend right now, and again, if this is what you've named your kid, that's awesome. But but I guess little girls are being named. It's kind of gaining popularity. They're being named Nevaeh, which is heaven backwards. So, and I've got all kinds of jokes about that. That's awful. But anyway, Nevaeh. Sounds like skin moisturizer to me. But, you know, heaven backwards. Anyway, I love those types of names. Now, we used to be where we were named with meaning. But names, even though they don't have that much meaning like they did before, still carry weight. We have all kinds of names for each other. Given names, Christian names family names, we have nicknames, we even have pet names. Pet names are those things that we probably call each other in private that we wouldn't want to be called out loud. But all the names we give each other probably fall into two categories. Two categories. Either they're terms of endearment, which your given name by your mom can either be terms of endearment. Like I remember my mom saying, oh, Jake, that's so sweet. And Jake Ryan... Or they can be terms of, you better straighten it But most of all, they fall into terms of endearment or insults. There's names that we've forgotten, of people that we can remember their face, and there's names that we have been called that we cannot bear to repeat. Names that carry meaning, and names that some of you have, which we're trying to figure out one of our staff members' middle names that we cannot figure out she does not want us to know what it is. Names that we don't want or wish that they would just go away. But this morning, Jesus is going to do something with a name. In the Sermon on the Mount, after he's opened it up and he's going to show us 
an inside-out way of being transformed and an inside-out, upside-down way of living, he's begun it with this invitation to the mourning and the hungry and the poor in spirit and the persecuted, the upside-down way of life, the outcast. He says, you are welcome. And now he's going to give those same people a name. He's going to call them something that is neither a term of endearment nor an insult. This time, what he's going to do is he's going to give us a name that is a term of identity. And he's going to call us salt, right? Salt. And he's going to call us light. Salt and light. It's in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Let's pick it up there as we hear the words of Jesus. After he's welcomed people in, he says this. He said his blessing and now he says to those blessed people, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. So for the Christian. In Jesus' mind, an identifier, a nickname, he gives all of us. And he says, hello, you are salt. And you are light. Now I want us to remember context here. It's important to remember who Jesus is addressing. Matthew 5.1 says it is the crowds. Or some translations say Jesus gathered with the multitudes. There's a cool Greek word there. It's the Greek word oklos. And oklos just means crowd or multitude, but it can also mean an insulting thing of the ignorant masses. The Greek word actually can mean the common people. It had a derogatory idea behind it. So when Matthew's readers read this for the first time, they're picking up that Jesus is not addressing the one percenters. They could be included in this crowd, but most of all, he's not going after here the powerful or the educated or the elite or the wealthy. He is addressing what we're going to call the ordinary today. And what he says to these ordinary people is an incredible identifier in its scope. He says to them, you are the salt and the light of what? Of the world. I don't know if you've ever picked up on that. To the close, To the common. To the ordinary. Not the one or two percenters. Not those who are getting ahead in life. He says this. He has this audacity. And you've got to fall in love with it. He says you're not the salt and light of Galilee. Or for us. Not the salt and light of the northeast panhandle. But if you follow me. You're going to be the salt and and light of the entire world. I love his audacity. He says, forget the Caesars and the Herods, the powerful and the wealthy, those who get ahead. 
I think for our terms, it says the world no longer it doesn't need more TikTok stars or YouTube personalities or politicians looking to fill their pockets, and they keep texting me every day. And the only response they get to me is, from me is all caps, stop. Anybody else doing that right now? Will you vote for so-and-so? No, stop, right? We don't need more of that. Jesus says, and he affirms the world-shaping value of ordinary people. The crowds who are beginning to follow an extraordinary Savior. Jesus says to them, you are salt and light. Two very ordinary, everyday objects. Pliny, a Roman writer, said about salt and light in one of his writings, he said, there is nothing more useful or common in the world than salt and sunshine. And this is the identity Jesus gives us. Two elements. He says, you are salt and light. Two elements that are everywhere that we honestly come into contact with daily. So common that we hardly ever notice them. They're ordinary. But according to Jesus, what they are when they are used in the way they're supposed to be, as we follow Him, they become the inside-out way of us becoming distinctive. Think about it this way. Think about this word, salt, and it being distinct. Right? Salt's everywhere. It's inside you. It's on your food. It's going to hopefully melt some ice on sidewalks when we get snow this winter. Come on, right? It is saturating the oceans, but it's, it's just incredibly common. And Jesus says, this is what you are. Salt falls into the category of things you don't know you're going to miss until they're gone. I don't know what I had until it was gone, right? For example, you guys know this. You don't notice salt being gone until you've tried an unsalted McDonald's fry, right? I mean, think about it, right? Is there anything better? Come on. And those of that are my age and older, remember when McDonald's used to fry their fries in tallow? Right? Pre-1993. Those were the days, right? They were so good. <laughs> right? But is there anything better? I mean, I'm not a big McD's fan, but come on. McD's fries. Crispy on the outside. Soft on the inside. Seasoned to perfection. But have you ever had one where the McDonald's worker, they give you the medium fries with your value meal and they forgot to sell them? I mean, it's just a potato stick. It's awful. Now I have a younger son who will eat a potato like it's an apple without anything on it, but he's weird, right? Most of us understand this. Salt, when it's missing, is really missing. Salt preserves. That's what Jesus is pointing at. Salt flavors. Salt keeps something. It enhances. It's ordinary. It's everywhere. But it is distinct. That's what salt does. And then Jesus also calls us light. Light's one of those things we hardly notice until it's gone. The sources of light in our homes. Have you ever tried to shower? Like in our bathroom, if you shower during a power outage, we don't have any windows. It's a disaster, right? It's a mess. Have you ever been camping and your headlamp or your flashlight goes out and you have 
nothing to see by at night. Everybody in your campsite will say, we're all going to murder. We're all going mur- to be murdered. We're all dead, right? We freak out when there's not a source of light. And just as salt preserves what light does, as Jesus is saying, it displays, it shows, it reveals. But light also guides and light instills hope. That's why the little orphan Annie reminds us the sun will come up tomorrow, right? For the light that it provides. Light, and I want you all to remember this. I've shown you this before. You know light is not the absence of darkness, right? Darkness is the absence of light. And that's because light always wins. I've shown you this before. Light doesn't cast a shadow. You see that? There's no shadow of the flame. There's a shadow here of the lighter. There's no shadow of the flame. That's because light has power. There is no darkness in light. Scripture goes on to say that. And what Jesus here is saying that's so extraordinary is that he's taking these two common elements. He's saying to be salt and light, it does not require a person to do extraordinary acts or to be somebody of extraordinary ability or extraordinary wealth or spectacular influence. He is saying to you, to me, what we need is people who live as salt and light in deep communion with an extraordinary Lean in here for a second, guys. I didn't know how to teach this. I just want y'all to think on this. The man, the God who created all that you see and even created this. This is the new James Webb photo from last week, I believe, of the pillars of creation. Hubble took a picture of it in the 90s and it was incredible then and now. With the new infrared scope and, and lens, you see inside and see all the stars that are peeking through that nebula. The God who created that, which is an extraordinary beacon of light, calls us light. You're the light, you're the salt in the light of the world. See, what Jesus is getting at here, and I hope you're you're starting to kind of, we need a little awe, we need a little wonder. Doug, your, your words, perfect. We need to know that the God who calls us this and who created things like that is here. And he's calling us and he's telling us what Jesus is reminding his listeners here, giving this identity at the first opening still intro words of the Sermon on the Mount, is he's saying to us there is nothing more powerful than ordinary people living as Jesus taught. There is nothing more powerful than ordinary people living like Jesus taught. Being salt and Just being distinctly ordinary. Going through our life, adding flavor, adding direction, adding something that enhances the world. But, there is a little pause here. 
Jesus has a pause. His identity also comes with a warning, a sticker on the side of the salt shaker telling us, you've got to be careful with how you use this. Because he knows something about us that we all know about ourselves. He says, I want you to be salty and I want you to be bright. And you need to stick with this identity because you can easily become bland and dim. This is here in chapter 5, verse 13b. He says this, right? He gives this warning. You're the salt of the world, but, but if the salt loses its saltiness, you can lose your saltiness. You can get bland, he says. And then in verse 15, he says, neither do people light a lamp. But why would you ever hide that lamp? Why would you cover that? Why would you let Satan get out? See, Jesus is being straightforward, straight up with this. He's saying you are salt and light, but if you don't use it, if you don't shine and add flavor, that old adage is true. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Our light can be smothered. It can be covered, which is a good thing if you're talking about chicken bread steak, but if it's talking about light, we're not to be smothered and covered. That was a terrible joke. Right? And, you're, and he also said your saltiness can be taken. It can be lost. It can be diluted. Scientifically, salt only loses its saltiness if it's polluted. Or diluted. And that's why we've got to pause for just a moment here with these things, with this but if the salt loses its saltiness. To us, ordinary Christians, just trying to walk through life, we've got to pause and ask ourselves a, a tough question. One that I hope I phrase well enough so that we can all focus for just a moment and say, you know, maybe I'm allowing something. I want you to dig in with this. What are you allowing? What am I allowing in my life that is diluting my soul? and dimming my light. I think Jesus speaks directly to this question in the book of Revelation. Revelation is written to seven churches. And the first church he writes to is the church in Ephesus. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Jesus writes directly and he says, To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and, hold, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Golden lampstands are representing the seven churches. And here's what he says to Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And have not grown weary. They've done all this great stuff. They're coming. They're showing up. They're going through a hard time. They're even working on who's really leading this church. Who's really a messenger from the Lord. That's what apostle means. A messenger from God. But then he says this to him. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you have. 
See, saltiness and our brightness are directly related to our first love. When we lose our first love, we dilute our salt and we dim our light. And so that question again for us, what am I allowing to do dilute my salt and dim my light is important for each of us to answer. And I want to kind of get a little deeper in and just ask you, what is taking your first love? This morning, have you allowed busyness to dilute? The busyness of life to dilute the God flavor you once had? Maybe you've just gotten so busy that you can't keep up with anything. You're just running from one fire to the next. Have you covered your light with grudges and resentment? Hatred towards another. Maybe we've just simply forgot that all this that we've done this morning begins and ends with the love of God and the love for you. Jesus is hermetic. Maybe it's small compromises. Have small compromises in your values and habits begin to pollute your connection to Jesus. And I want you to know I don't ask these questions to myself, to drag myself, or to drag you, or to guilt you. These questions are good for us to realign ourselves with that true identity of being salt and light. Because think what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus here in Revelation, and he's saying to us, is you can have all the right answers and make even most of the right choices. But if you're not desiring to be salt and light in the world, you're not living a good and beautiful life. A life worth living goes back to chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 16, 16, where he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus says is, I'm giving you this identity of salt and light, not to make you churchgoers, but to make you world changers. You are salt and light of the world. The whole point of this, the whole point of being distinctly ordinary, like salt and light, to be everywhere, to be something that people take for granted often, is our Lord is telling us a great truth, is that a salty and bright life makes a difference. It makes change. As many people have said, I think it was first attributed to Mother Teresa, you may be the only Bible that people ever read when you're being salt and light. So what Jesus is saying here about this distinctly ordinary identity is that the point of it all is to be a blessing. A covered light is useless. An unsalty grain of salt makes no difference. So So be flavorful. And shine. And the great news is is that you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be the strongest or the best or the smartest. Jesus is simply saying, church family, just be what you're already are. Notice that Jesus gives us this identity before we ever follow. You ever notice that? Identity precedes behavior in the New Testament over and over. Paul's favorite phrase, you are in Christ 
always precedes his instructions to how to live in Christ. He reminds them of where they've come from and what has been done for them so that they can be who they're supposed to be. Where did Paul get that? Where did Jesus get that? The Old Testament. Read the Old Testament commands. We always think the Old Testament commands come so that people can be who they're supposed to be. The Old Testament commands follow God always saying, I brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I saved you. I gave you a new identity. I brought you out of slavery. Now, do these things. So what Jesus is saying to us here is be distinctly ordinary. Be salt and light. You already are. Now live in it. That's so helpful. I saw this. This may be stupid, but this was helpful for me today. Most of us, we'll go back to my 80s childhood. This is you, right? Remember that commercial? This is your brain. I'm not going to fry an egg this morning. But most of us, man, I won't say most. I'll say some of us are going through life with very little We live in a world that tells us that there's not anything outside of what you can see. It's why Doug's message this morning, it's why coming here is so important. Because we've got to say to a world that there is more to this world than what we can see. Right? I hope we we get that. Thank you, Barry, for the amen. David's not here. Somebody else needs to step it up. Right? Right? There is more to it. So, but because we live in the world we live in, a lot of us are just aimlessly going through and we try to get on purpose and we try to stand up and we try to have a little bit of identity, but we fall over and we're just kind of getting pushed any way or whatever way by the world. And Jesus comes in and he goes, you're going to be salt. I'll let you guys see this. You're going to be salt. And just a little bit of salt in your life. Hopefully this works. When you take on that identity, it makes you stick, right? Right? It makes you stick. It gives you purpose. It gives you mission. The identity precedes the behavior. I have an identity as salt and light, and now I can stand for something, and I can go out, and I can make all the Not by doing extraordinary things. Again, there is nothing more powerful, church, than ordinary people just simply following the way of Jesus. Everywhere they go. Well, where do I start? Everywhere you go. Start at home today. Start living like Jesus. So in our life groups recently, we asked people to do something for our life and rhythm curriculum. One of them was to go to places of work and pray over our workplaces, and a lot of our people have done that. If you haven't done that, I hope you get to do that. It's a great experience. I got to do that with Brandon Page. We got to drive over to the transfer station, drive around town and pray over what he does. We came up here and he prayed over what I do up here. Part of that also was to spend some time thinking about my work mission state. What's my mission? What am I doing as I'm a teacher? What am I doing as I'm out in the oil field? What do I do as a a stay-at-home mom? What do I do as a retired person? What is it that God wants me to do to be salt and light. And I've heard some great ones, but I wanted to share one of them from our own people that I thought spent a lot of time and a lot of prayer that went into this. And it comes from Cody and Whitney Matthews. And I thought this was such a salt 
and life escaping. And so you know what they do? They ranch. And they believe that their work mission statement, why they're doing this and why God has put them in this place. And it was, it was so cool to talk to them. We talked one night about, in our life group, about what's your dream job? And it's funny, ranchers are like, well, I'm doing it. <laughs> Man, ranch, you, you really like pain, don't you? you know? <laughs> right? But he said this. This is so good. Cody and Whitney said that their purpose in life is to rejuvenate the rangeland back to Yahweh's design. And we prayerfully steward his creation while crafting the highest quality perfect. Simple, ordinary, but it's stewarding and being salt and light wherever they go. It's beautiful. I was inspired by that. I can't stop thinking about it. And I hope y'all will start to see yourselves. And where salt and light comes in is not by you striving, but by you living into what you already are. By leaving this place and living into the identity you have. That's the inside out way of Jesus. Our world tells us you've got to earn it, you've got to make it, you've got to find a degree to get this level, and then you've got to find another level to get this or that to achieve. Jesus comes along and inside out flips it and says, no, I'm going to call you who you are. You're salt, you're light. You're flavor for the world. You're preservative for the world. You are light. You are beaming up a direction for the world, giving comfort to the world, giving hope to the world. So hear it again out of the message one last time. And then the, mes- the message tonight or this morning will be yours. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this world. If you lose your saltiness, it ends up useless and only in different garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. But make you light bearers. Don't think I'm going to hide you under a basket. I'm going to put you there on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hill, on a light stand, shine. Keep open eyes. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt others to open up to God, this generous Father. One of the most powerful things, church family, you can do is to let God be God. Simply start to show a world that around us and even inside of here has lost touch with the fact that God is here. And we display that best by being salt and light. It's not doing extraordinary things, but it's pointing out the moments in your life and pointing others to the moments in their life where God is active. And change lives to And we have examples all around us of people doing that in here. And may we live into this inside out identity. If you need help with that identity this morning, I do. I lose that. We'll pray for you. Our elders will be in the back. We'd love to lift up whatever you need this morning. Let's stand together this morning.
Amen.